Do you have a phobia? Something that you're afraid of? Some people are afraid of the dark. Some people are afraid of heights. Some people are afraid of snakes. Some people are afraid of spiders. Some people are afraid of clowns. I knew there'd be one laugh because I know there's at least one of you. Some people are afraid of elevators. Some people are afraid of lots of different things. Fear comes over them at different times. Some people are afraid that the donut shop is going to run out of chocolate-covered crullers before you get there. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. (laughs) Some shoppers are afraid that they're not going to be able to get a hoverboard or a sing-along Elsa doll before Christmas Eve to put underneath the tree. Some parents are afraid that they will be able to get a sing-along Elsa doll before Christmas Eve to put under the tree. When we think of phobias and fears, we usually think of them in the negative. They're not always known as positive things. But there is a kind of fear that is actually good. In fact, it is good, clean fear. It's the kind of good, clean fear that can completely change your Christmas. It's the kind of good, clean fear that can completely change your life, and not just your life, but actually can change your eternity. What kind of fear is that? Listen to these words from Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. King David is writing a whole section talking about the law of the Lord. And he's used words like testimony and precept and commandment. But here in in this moment, he doesn't use a word. He uses a phrase. He uses a, a phrase to talk about the law of the Lord. And he says that the law of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. Now, if you came up to me and walked over next to me at a Halloween party, and you were dressed up as Bernard... Barney, P, Milton, Oliver? Oliver Fife. I couldn't remember his other name. If you came up to me dressed as Barney Fife at a Halloween party and you said, hey, quit eating all those cheese straws, buddy. Leave some for the rest of us. I'm probably not going to be afraid of you because you're dressed up as Barney Fife. But if Carl Payne walks over to me in traffic outside of a Christmas parade and knocks on my window and asks me to roll my window down and and he's dressed up in his uniform as a state trooper and he tells me to to stop tailgating the guy in front of me, I'm going to be afraid of Carl. Now, I don't mean I'm going to be afraid of Carl like he's a bad guy in a horror movie. I mean, I'm going to be afraid of Carl because he's not dressed up like a character from Mayberry RFD. He actually really is a law enforcement officer. When David writes these words about the fear of the Lord, he's not talking about the fear that would drive somebody to jump on top of a chair to get away from a spider. He's not talking about the kind of fear that would stir somebody to take a bus from D.C. to L.A. so that they could avoid flying. He's talking about a holy fear of God. He's talking about a holy fear of of God's truth. When he writes that we are to fear the Lord, what he's saying is that we are believing in God's truth in a unique way. 
We're believing in it in such a way that we're saying that nothing can outplay it. Nothing can outmaneuver it. Nothing can outrank it. Nothing can cancel out God's truth. We hold it to be firm and final. Or maybe put another way. You don't pull out your Bible when you're trying to figure out how to rebuild a transmission in a 1962 Ford Galaxy. You're not going to find that in the Bible. But you do pull out the Bible when you're looking for an answer for the one who reigns over the estimated 100 billion galaxies that exist. You see, there's something about the truth of God that stands alone. There is no other. That's what it means to have a holy fear of God. David was an intelligent, creative, gifted, talented, powerful man. In fact, he was one of the most powerful men who ever lived on the planet. And he declares God's truth to be ultimate truth, that it was and it is truth. And why does he declare that? Well, he says because it's clean. The fear of the Lord is, is clean. That means that it's, it's pure, it's, it's flawless. And when I say flawless, I don't mean that there cannot be some grammar police that might find a, a wayward semicolon somewhere in some modern translation of the Bible. That's not what we mean when we say flawless. When we say flawless, what we mean is this, is beyond the tenure of any king and any queen and any president and any politician, beyond the tenure of, of any coach or any entertainer, beyond the tenure of any pastor, beyond the tenure of any terrorist, beyond the tenure of any nation and any constitution and any church and anything, one thing remains. Just one. Only one thing remains. This is how Moses described that one thing and how he describes what it means for something to really ultimately be flawless. Deuteronomy 4, 39 Moses proclaims to the people, Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. No other God. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, He is the ultimate. There is no other than Him. He is ultimate truth. This is how the prophet Isaiah described what it means for something to be ultimately flawless and clean. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The laws and the bylaws of state and local and national and international and, and even church government, they are good, they are necessary, they are helpful, they are important. But there is a day when every single one of them will wither and fade away. Only God's truth stands before, during, and after time. It stands alone. It is flawless. This is how Jesus described what it means for something to be ultimately flawless, what it means for a fear of the Lord to be clean. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass Every human being, every human philosophy will one day pass away. But the truth of God will never pass away. It will never come to an end. It is clean. It is pure. It is flawless. 
This is how Charles Spurgeon described that. When the governments of nations are shaken with revolution and ancient constitutions are being repealed, it is comforting to know that the throne of God is unshaken and his law unaltered. Our personal lives are marked with all kind of moments where we're shaken, where our dreams and our plans are altered. In fact, life in general is full of all kinds of moments where there is terror and there is tragedy and there is horror and there is heartache, things that shake us and alter the world that we live in. But the throne of God is never shaken. The throne of God is never altered. It never changes. When the choir sings these songs to you, inviting you to believe in Christmas, they are not inviting you to believe in a a story about a cute baby in Bethlehem. That's, That's not what the invitation is. They're inviting you to believe in the King that is flawless. They're inviting you to believe in the King whose kingdom is unshaken and unaltered, flawless, clean, pure, forever. And when you believe in that King, there is a comfort that comes into your soul that is the greatest comfort in the universe. That's how David describes it in the next part. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Around the world right now, there are men and women in our armed forces that are serving and protecting our freedom to be here this morning. Just think sometimes. We may have the inconvenience of of not having heat and air right now. The power is going to be out at some point today as it's fixed. But we're free to meet in this moment. There's men and women all over the world making sure that we keep that freedom. And not just our freedom, but they're striving to open the doors of freedom who have absolutely none. In the next few weeks, various government agencies and nonprofit groups will do what they can to try to bring some Christmas cheer to our troops, particularly those that are serving overseas. What they'll do is they'll try to bring a little bit of home to them, a little bit of the comforts of home that we think about at Christmas. You know, things like decorations and presents, singing, good food. See, they're far away. They're not at home. They're away from their families. But maybe for a few hours, they'll be able to experience a few things that make them feel like home. The reason we say that the fear of the Lord is clean, the reason we repeat these words from David is because God's truth is the only truth that endures and stands forever. It doesn't feel like home. It is home. It doesn't feel like it could be truth. It is truth. Gold is known for being pure and clean and complete. The wise men brought a gift of gold to the Messiah. We invite you to believe in Christmas through these songs because what we want you to do is to discover that there is only one king who is pure and clean and complete. There is no king 
like Jesus. Frankincense is known for its aroma and its fragrance. In the Old Testament, it was used during offering times and the, and the sacrifices, so to speak, just to, to try to get that fragrance, that aroma around God's people so that they would remember that the reason they're worshiping God is because there is no other. The wise men brought a gift of frankincense to the Messiah. When we invite you to believe in Christmas through these songs, our hope is that these songs are an aroma I had a unique seat on this side because the way I was turned, I got to look at almost every song at this star on the stained glass window. It's great. It's one of those moments I love being in a traditional church. I had a cool picture of stained glass right there. And it was great for me because the aroma of this music was sweet in my ears. These songs are inviting you to believe in Christmas because we want you to catch the aroma and the fragrance of the king, the only king whose kingdom endures forever. See, that is extremely comforting. Because when life falls apart, when your life is shaken, when your life is altered, nothing changes about Jesus. He is sure. He is firm. He is real. He is complete. He is flawless. And his kingdom is forever. So in a sense, you have the opportunity pretty much every day to be a wise man or a wise woman. In other words, you have an opportunity to bring a gift to the Messiah. And what gift is it that you need to bring? Well, the gift you need to bring the most, if your heart is going to be comforted, if you're going to enjoy the salvation that can only come through Jesus, the gift that you need to bring is not gold, it's not frankincense, it's not even myrrh. It's all. Just good, clean fear. Just good, clean awe. John Piper writes, The aim of God at Christmas is to make the goodies of the world lose all their attraction in comparison to the surpassing glory of the divine name. The essence of Christmas purity is what you stand in all of. We invite you this morning to stand in awe of the fact that Jesus mildly laid his glory by. We invite you to stand in awe that he died and he was born so that you would not die. We invite you to stand in awe and to believe, and to follow Christ, the newborn king. You may have heard of a song that has been sung in the church for many, many years. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We're going to sing that together as we close our service today. But I want to plead with you to remember that it's not just a song. And so there's going to be something for you to do. You're going to have to pay attention because this one has some different words and they are powerful. So the tune may be familiar, but you'll need to catch the words. And that's not just true for the song. 
the tune of your life is familiar. Most of us have a routine. We do the same thing on Monday mornings, do the same things on Sunday afternoons. But I want you to know if you're going to follow Jesus, your life will be altered. Things will change. And if you know the tune of this song, but you leave it in this room, then it won't do any good. Yesterday, here on our campus, we made sure that we didn't sing a familiar tune. We did something even different than we did last Christmas with our garage giveaway. We ministered to people in a unique way who needed things, and and we had things to give. I think Kieran showed me the numbers, more than 340, 350 people that we were able to minister to here yesterday. Men who were able to come in and find Christmas presents for their kids that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to get. People who had needs even beyond what we provided and God even made a way for those provisions to happen. But I want you to remember that that was one day yesterday and it was an incredible day. And let me just say, I've never been around a group of people that you never have to ask to do anything. We took over the campus for like five days, and it was completely, almost perfectly set back to normal in like 20 minutes. <laughs> it was incredible. But what we did yesterday was make sure that we didn't leave hymns in this room. And that's what we always want to do. And so as you leave today, go find your garage giveaway. As a body of Christ, we came together to serve others yesterday. But as an individual Christian, you have a gospel ministry even today. It might be to your spouse. It might be to your kids. It might be to your neighbors. It might be to somebody at school or work. But we plead with you to take the name of Jesus with you. That believing in Christmas is not for December. It's for life and it's for eternity. And I promise you, there is absolutely nothing sweeter than knowing and loving and following Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to go ahead and stand. Anita's going to come. You stand with us, and, and we're going to close singing about the sweetness of who Jesus is. And I'm going to ask you again, don't miss the words. And when we're through singing, I'll pray, and we'll head out into our day with a new and more confident faith in Jesus.